five cats, two pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And today is Wormwood Part Two. Woot. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tiny woot. I know. I was well, I was trying not to like I was afraid that it was gonna go too big and, and I was uh. going to yell. So I was I held back quite a bit That's on that fair. one. That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. So a few weeks back we covered wormwood as uh, a herb that maybe you could smoke. And now we're gonna talk about it as a herb that you can drink because it is. It's time. Take it out of your pocket. Yeah. It's yeah. time for absinthe. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a whole episode about the Green Fairy because St. Patrick's Day is today. Yeah, it is today. And we know that there's going to be so many people drinking green beer. Right. And we don't do that because we don't like green poops that are, <laughs> you know, spurred by food coloring. So we're going to talk about a better green drink. Yeah. With a more interesting lore and history behind it. <laughs> so we're going to talk all about the green fairy absinthe and and it's all spurned by wormwood. Yep. Here we go. Sweet. <laughs> but as always, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, Lindsay, how was your week? I had a pretty okay week. It was like fine as weeks usually go. It was actually a like the beginning of the week was actually very emotionally exhausting for me because we played D and D the weekend before. And we did, we did, and it was quite a game. So, pour one out for our dear friend Fern, slain by a will o' wisp. Rest well, sweet cousin Fern. So our, our dear friend Kate played a Goliath druid character, and we had just leveled up to level three, and we just didn't have quite enough oomph to get over that hump of, of the Will-O-Wisp. Yeah. So I don't want to go into too many details, because I don't want to give away, you know, in case you're playing along or plan on playing, but, uh, but yeah, it, there was, it wasn't anybody's fault. Just one of those things. Sometimes your D&D character perms. And this was our first character death as a group. And most folks' first character death, period. So, yeah. It was an, it was an emotional moment. We had a good cry at the table. Yeah. We got to say goodbye. She became a cluster of stars in the sky. It was yeah, awesome. That was really nice. So kudos to Engineer Dan for for making it a really special, heartfelt moment and not just being like, oh, well, that happened. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Which we never expected he would do, but Yeah, no, no, it was really nice for him to do that. It was nice to get that closure. Yeah. Um, but in the end, like, yeah, it was just a super unfortunate series of events that led up to that. Yeah, but I think that's one of those beautiful things about Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games like that, where if you're playing with a group of emotionally mature human beings and who like you know love and trust each other, you can have that kind of vulnerability at the table to have an emotional attachment to your character and others, and be able to feel those very real feelings of like shock and anger and grief and cry real tears at the table over a pretend character. I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I do too. I do so, too. That's so yeah. really well put. We were all kind of bummed early on this week, but Kate will be back with a brand new character in two weeks' time and can't wait to meet them. Yeah, I'm excited to meet the new character for sure. In other adventures of new things, Lindsay. Ooh, what you got? We installed your tushy this week. Oh, yay. <laughs> Dan's tushy, you mean. 
he'll, he'll use it more than me. So, <laughs> so for Engineer Dan's birthday, you gifted him a tushy, and it's taken until then. That's in October. It's taken until this weekend to install it. <laughs> but we did it. It wasn't as hard as we thought it might be. Uh, it was just pure procrastination was the only reason we didn't do it. Mostly because I decided I had to clean behind my toilet to put it in. I didn't want to get my face down in there, like screwing oh. everything in. And I just kept not wanting to like really hardcore scrub behind my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, so now you all know that about me. <laughs> but everything got like gutted and bleached in the bathroom. And then I felt comfortable getting down and personal um, with my commode. And yeah, installed it. And before we started recording, I took my first tushy poop. You did. <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> I'm not sure I like it, but I used it. <laughs> I bet your butthole felt really clean, though. I felt wet, kind of well, cold. You can, you can dry it off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I did. <laughs> but I just, I'm not sure yet how I feel about it. <laughs> it's still a little foreign to me, but... You can also turn, <laughs> turn the heat up on that one, too, so it's not, like, super cold water blasting your ass. Yeah, this was lukewarm, so, oh, I, gotta, okay. I, so I figured out I have to, like, turn the tushy on and let it run for a second because yeah. our hot water isn't instantaneous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it takes a minute for it to warm up if I haven't, like, just taken a shower or something like that. So I haven't had that moment of, like, oh, my God, that's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in the process of, like, cleaning the bathroom and getting everything ready... We also like thoroughly scrubbed out, emptied, emptied, then scrubbed the litter box for the kitties and have converted to pretty litter. Is that the one that changes colors? Mm -hmm. It's the one that all the other podcasts that have sponsors talk about. Oh. Uh, so Pretty Litter is not a sponsor. I just decided to use it because all the other podcasts I listen to uh, advertise it and talk about how great it is. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to give this a try because the thing for me, aside from the changing color, was that it's dust free. And to that point, it does live up to its name. They still have managed to kick it all over the <laughs> bathroom floor. <laughs> <laughs> like it's their personal sandbox, but it, it is dust free because I was starting to get like really bummed out with how dusty their fur was when they were getting out of the litter box mm -hmm. with the regular litter. And they just, I don't know, they look like little fucking dust kitties. And I was like, ew, they have to lick that off. Yeah. So I was over it. Plus they like roll around on my pillow. It's like, milk. So pretty litter it is, but now it does change color when they pee. And because there is a color scale that goes from like healthy to unhealthy, I've become obsessed with checking their cat pee <laughs> color. Every time I go in the bathroom or hear one of them scratching around in there, immediately afterwards, I'm like, what color was it? Let me go like unbury it so I can find out what color it was. I, I have a problem. So far, it's the yellow green of normal. Oh, but there, there was one P that was edging into forest green. I was like, oh, no, that's too alkaline. What do I do? Oh, no. <laughs> like, the answer is just wait until tomorrow. They probably just didn't have enough to drink. Oh, <laughs> they went back okay. to normal. <laughs> but yeah, so now I've got a new obsession, checking the color of my cat's pee. Does the litter clump too? Is it a clumping litter? It's not. Oh. So it's not designed to clump. Um, it, it also just like shakes out really nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you just scoop their poop. And it absorbs the uh, urine mm -hmm. and changes the little crystals, change color. And it doesn't clump 
Um, it just continues like after a little while, what I've noticed is it like sort of self disperses and through, I don't know, osmosis or something. It just like the, it evaporates. I don't, I don't quite know how, but it goes back to its like plain white color. Weird. And you know, it's time to change your pretty litter when it stops doing that. So oh. they, they'll pee, scratch it all around. It'll change color. I don't know, like an hour later, it'll go back to white. And they'll get back in. They'll scratch it all around. But yeah, it just like absorbs it. It doesn't smell. It's not dusty. It's very crunchy under your feet in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they seem to like it just fine. So because it doesn't smell, because it doesn't clump. So I actually have to scoop the litter a lot less because all I'm scooping out is their poop. Right, right. Um, And because it's not dusty, I think I'm going to keep it. Nice. Oh, I'm excited for you. Yeah. And then you get this like color cacophony of (laughs) 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 i am kind of bummed i won't be able to try it out because i do need a clumping litter with the litter robot oh yeah that's a bummer yeah it's okay whatever i'll I'll deal with it (laughs) i mean it it, uh, do you like it's just going to clump the it's gonna the poop's gonna like just get sifted out and the rest of the litter is usable again, so it doesn't have to clump. Oh, maybe I could try it then. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm like So far, it's, it's day two. I'm a fan. The cats like it. All we'll right. see how it goes. I'll look it up and see what, what people who also use a litter robot say about it. Like, oh, yeah. see if anybody's tried it or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Sweet. So, yeah. All kinds of adventures this week. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yes. We should remember to light our ritual candle. Yes, we should. <laughs> uh, actually, we already have. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate you mentioning it, Lindsay, because otherwise I definitely would have forgotten and then people would be like, you didn't light it. And we we did. We yeah. have so much to talk about today with Wormwood that we're like, fuck it, let's just light it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this leads me to another fun uh, announcement, I guess. Uh, right here now at the top of the episode, rather than waiting to the very end, we would love to send out a huge, huge, heartfelt, sincere thank you to listener Darlene who sent us our first ever unboxing box. Yeah, it was we so exciting. <laughs> it was so exciting and so sweet. It was amazingly thoughtful. We're going to share, a, hopefully, fingers crossed, a little video on um, on TikTok. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but... <laughs> We'll share it on Instagram uh, and share all the things that were in it. But, oh my gosh, there is prompted new episode ideas. Can't wait to incorporate a lot of the things that were gifted to us, including a stolen item. Yes. (laughs) Um, Into future episode topics. So it'll be so much fun. And really such a thoughtful, like selfless, wonderful, loving gift. We were floored and really made our day. Uh, it was, it, yeah, absolutely fantastic. I kind of want to play a rogue named Darlene in our next d and <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Sweet. Well, again, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right on back. And we're going to dive into the green fairy known as Absinthe. Totally. We'll see you soon, which is... Thanks, dude. All right. 
we are ready to talk about absinthe. Yeah. So like we said at the top of the episode, we did Wormwood 1 a few weeks ago. We wanted to take absinthe and put it in our pocket for later. And this is later. (laughs) So you can go ahead and unpack that now because we're going to. I know, dude. It's been in my pocket for a really long time. And I, <laughs> I almost washed yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no, I didn't wash them. <laughs> but anyway, absinthe. I'm really psyched about this because it's one of those spirits that like you don't really hear a lot about these days. I remember a time like maybe, I don't know, 10 or so years ago where everybody was talking about absinthe. Everybody was super into it. Everybody that I knew who would like go to France would bring back a bottle of real absinthe because you couldn't get it here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's got a long and, and sorted history and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of myth. And I think that it fits in nicely with The general sort of things that we talk about in the podcast. Yeah, dude, absolutely. So absinthe itself is an anise-flavored spirit, and it's made by steeping wormwood and other herbs like anise and fennel with a, a bunch of other stuff in it to in alcohol to create this spirit, and it's it's generally higher in alcohol. Uh, we're looking at like 45 to 74% ABV Woo. or in the U.S. 90 to 148 proof. Yikes. Okay. So if you are not a drinker, uh, most, I'm going to relate this to beer. Most like yellow fizzy beer is somewhere in the 4 to 5% ABV. Mm-hmm. So this is way higher. <laughs> way higher. <laughs> Way higher, but yeah, generally it's it's like a whole bunch of different herbs and and stuff in alcohol, and and it's pretty cool. Uh, the drink itself is typically distinguished by this like super cool bluish green color. Not all of it is bluish green. It can be clear too. Oh, I've never seen clear. Absinthe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've only ever seen the like the like you said. It's like this beautiful like emerald hunter green color. Yeah, yeah. But no, it can it can be clear. The green color comes from the chlorophyll that's extracted from the plants during their secondary maceration. Oh, awesome. Yeah, but when it starts out, like when it's first distilled or whatever, it is a clear spirit. Oh, so I I'm imagining it'd be the same if I took. Um, parsley and put it in a bottle of water nothing's going to happen mm-hmm. but the fl- the water will taste a little like parsley but if i take that parsley and i fucking smash the shit out of it and muddle it in that jar of water it'll mm-hmm. turn bright green and let it sit there same mm-hmm. way cool. red wine is made red ah yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> a much better a much better analogy <laughs> Um, with the type of absinthe that, that has anise in it though, it's it, the, and the way that it's presented a lot of the time is it'll be mixed with like cold water. And once you do that, it turns the spirit into like this cloudy, opaque, either like, you know, slight greenish or white color, which is really, really interesting. And this happens with other, uh, spirits that also have anise in it and it has something to do with the essential oils that are in the anise Ooh! so they're not water soluble very cool so the extra hydration causes them to drop out of the solution with the alcohol and creates oh, the man. the louche or the like opaqueness 
that's okay. I like that it's called a louche. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of sexy. But the like I've I've had absinthe with the water drip and everything. And I always thought the sugar made it cloudy. No. It's the water. It's that's the fucking water. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, have you ever had like a chilled Sambuca or Uzo? <laughs> yes, I have. However, I've never been sober enough to notice what color it is. Ah, <laughs> so once they're like, uh, I in probably like early 2000s, I hung out with a bunch of like old Irish dudes who loved chilled sambuca so they would always order rounds of them at the bar and i i noticed that when the bartender would like shake up the sambuca and pour it out into the glass it was then white and i never knew why that was until now that's amazing i love it yeah super cool that is super cool (laughs) there is another term for absinthe that i think probably a lot of people are familiar with or a nickname rather and that's the green fairy I got not gonna lie. I think that that's ninety percent of why we decided to do this episode. Besides the fact that we wanted to follow up on the most popular uh, use of wormwood, but I mean the green fairy at St. Patrick's Day, it kind of felt right. Yeah. <laughs> so absinthe is in French means wormwood. Green fairy is a translation of the French la fille verte, which you know green fairy, and it gets that nickname because it was thought to like give you hallucinations basically when you drink it yeah oh cool and that comes from like 18th century 19th century france yeah i think 19th century france like right around it's like it's heyday but we're gonna walk through the history of absinthe from its like from its origins and its commercialization through its uh through its banning (laughs) yeah we'll get there but not quite yet yes not just yet so wanted to chat a little bit about the botany of things and as we you know have highlighted all along that um, absinthe is made with wormwood but there are several types of wormwood and they're used in variety of spirits. So this is something I also learned in doing research for this episode is that um, I knew there are multiple types of herbs that fall into the wormwood category, but I didn't know that they're used in other liqueurs and, and booze as well. So here we go. Latin time. Artemisia and absinthium, which is grand wormwood. That's your absinthe. Duh. Absinthium. that's your like that's your pure wormwood that's the big granddaddy wormwood of them all used in absinthe but artemisia pontica or roman wormwood is used in what they call small absinthe which is um, absinthe that doesn't have all of the full range of herbs it's sort of just like a a wormwood absinthe it doesn't taste very good apparently (laughs) i don't know that's i read i read on the internet it does not taste good i have never actually had some Um, but it's also used in vermouth oh interesting i didn't know that um artemisia vulgaris or common wormwood also known as mugwort my favorite herb now this i love and i cannot wait to find a bottle of it is used in herb saint also sometimes in vermouth but I've had Herb Saint before, and it does have that same sort of like slightly licorice flavor. Yeah. And when we made our mugwort cocktail, it had a slightly licorice flavor. Oh, my gosh. I don't even remember. But yeah, I yeah, know. I think you're right. It had this like mildly, like mildly herbal licorice kind of thing going on yeah. with also the sweetness from the apple. Oh, yeah. Cool. And then the last one is Artemisia Genepi. And um, Genepi is used in something called Genepi liqueurs, which I was not able to find anything about. So I'll have to look that up further 
for future episodes. Yeah, I have no idea what that is either. But we, uh, the the property of wormwood that is is the sort of alluring green fairy might cause hallucinations gives it that like attractive bohemian quality that people are like oh that's why like that's why people go crazy on absinthe is called thujon and it is found in not just wormwood so i wanted to mention a few other plants that that is found in before i tell you what thujon is oh cool so other plants that are not wormwood but contain the same properties in different amounts include yarrow, tansy, oak moss, cedar, mint, oregano, sage. I've also read tarragon. I've smoked oregano before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm growing some in my garden, so guess what we're going to try again this summer. <laughs> but I love that um, a lot of those are things that we've talked about in the past or plan to talk about in the future and they all contain thujon which is the primary oil um, the chemical in wormwood that gives the drink its unique um, hue so it's part of the chlorophyll like it's it's trapped in there with the chlorophyll and it's been studied a bunch so I think originally people were like oh if you drink absinthe, it's going to make you hallucinate and see things, and it's the wormwood in it. It's technically the thujon, not just like not the wormwood itself, but uh, it's been studied for its its psychotropic effects and its healing potential because it's been used for a long time for both. And it is known that in very high doses, it can cause anything from sweats to anxieties, seizures, and convulsions. In lab uh, rodents, so mice and rats, in a study uh, where they gave a pretty monstrous dose, uh, they they actually killed the rats. So it causes oh. kidney failure in large amounts. And uh, it's thought that Thujon is the the ingredient that made Van Gogh go mad and cut his ear off, which is, in fact, a myth. He cut his ear off, but it wasn't yeah, because of the Thujon. Yeah, I've read different things on that. So we'll we'll sort of like share our thoughts on this as we're going through. But in 2008, a research team basically did a study that examined the um, chemical composition of original recipe absinthe and post like prohibition, post ban absinthe, and they looked at all kinds of different things. Um, all like 13 different bottles they sampled from the original recipe. And basically they found nothing that explains why absinthe would make people go crazy in the early 1900s and not today. The level of thujon was the same in both recipes. It wasn't enough to trigger a psychosis reaction. And it was likely more linked to the ethanol content in the alcohol. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it was just a different form of alcoholism, and it had nothing to do with, with, the, uh, with this psychotropic drug or oil in the plant. <laughs> because it's such a small amount. Right, yeah. <laughs> so we want to walk you through the history of this unique beverage, its relationship to the plant. How does it get from cool plant in the ground to Van Gogh cut his ear off because he drank it <laughs> to we're not allowed to drink it to, okay, well, we could totally drink it. Let's bring some back from France and like have it be all the rage in 2007. <laughs> 
So we found a lovely, um, we do like, we cross-reference a lot of our research and we found an, um, a sort of a walkthrough history on what's cooking America. And I, I honestly just couldn't find a better resource. They like they walked it through step by step. We cross referenced it with a bunch of other, um, which bunch of other websites and books, and they all said the same thing. So this is our compilation, uh, our historical walkthrough of absinthe. But we did want to sort of put the disclaimer on it. This is largely, uh, largely influenced or taken from what's cooking America. So starting out way back in 1150 BCE. It's believed that that's where people started using it for medicine. I, I think in this case, more specifically, wormwood rather than absinthe. Uh, but it was recorded in the Egyptian medical document known as Eber's papyrus. Though its usage may go back even further since the papyrus included writings from as far back as 3500 BCE. Yikes. Yeah, crazy, right? The, yeah, that is crazy. Uh, and then... We'll walk forward a little bit, but not too far, really. Uh, the first written detailed description of what they are going to call absence use, but essentially Wormwood's therapeutic uses, um, was written by um, Gaius Plinius Celsius Secundus, or oh. better known as Pliny the Elders. That's, I'm, oh my gosh, that's quite the name. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned him a bunch. We should totally do an episode on him in the future. Let's bookmark that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but um, he was essentially a Roman scholar, author, naturalist. He was also a Navy commander. Uh, but in 23 um, Common Era to like 79 Common Era, uh, he was really into what can plants be used for medicinally. And that's where he started diving into using wormwood for a cure for um, intestinal worms. Fucking gross, dude. <laughs> I mean, gross, but also like how cool to be like, I don't know what this does. Like, and just in eating it and being like, oh, I had worms. Now I no longer have worms. Write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> so let's fast forward to the 18th century CE. So Somewhere in between 1789 and 1792, and according to either history or legend, we don't know because people say both history and legend, absinthe was originally developed by this dude, Dr. Pierre Ordinaire. He was a French doctor in self-exile due to political reasons who was living in the Swiss town of Cuvée. It's said that he discovered the plant Wormwood while traveling in the Val de Travers, and he mixed wormwood with some other herbs and alcohol to create his 136 proof elixir. Now, I don't know the difference between proof and ABV, but 136 proof, is that like straight vodka? Is that like Everclear? Like, what are we talking about there? So, so to get ABV, you're going to half the proof. Okay. So that would be 60. Something. I don't know, dude. I don't I can't, math, I can't man. math. Fuck. 60 something. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I'm drinking. I don't fucking know. Yeah, 60 something. Uh, so he used this elixir in his treatment of the sick. And after many claims of miraculous healing powers, it became a cure all. And it was eventually nicknamed La Fivert which we mentioned already, which means the green fairy. 
It's also believed that Dr. Ordinaire either gave or sold his recipe to Mademoiselle Grandpierre, who then sold it to two sisters named Enro in Cuvée. Yeah, and I think that that's where it sort of like diverges in the like history or legend because some people say that it was actually the sisters that came up with the recipe first and sold it to Ordinaire, but Ordinaire is the one that made it popular by like using it as medicine on all of his patients. So it's a little, a little unclear who actually came up with the original recipe. Yeah, fair. Totally fair. But what we do know is that in 1794, um, Abram Louis Perrineau, uh, who is a distiller who was also living in Cuvée, basically scribbled the recipe down in his diary. So that is the first like historical uh, actual recipe. We don't have anything that dates older than that. So this Perrineau guy is the first one that like wrote it down and saved it for us to be able to see it later. Then in 1797, this French guy named Major Daniel Henri Dubied, who was a lace merchant, recognized the commercial potential of this formula, and he purchased the recipe from Perrineau. Uh, he, he employed Abram Louis' son, Henri Louis Perrineau, that guy who we were talking about earlier, who had learned the distilling trade from his father, and it's also said that the major's daughter, Emily or Emile. Let's go with Emily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled like Emile, but I'm like, is it Emily? We're going to go with Emily. Uh, married Henri Louis in 1797. Then in 1798, along with Dubied's sons, they began producing the absinthe other the name of Dubied Pet et Fil. Uh, it's uh, it's eight feet uh, because okay, that well. means and sons. Oh, eight so it's, feet. <laughs> it, yeah, it basically it's like it, it'd be the same as if it was like Naro and daughters. <laughs> oh, I always wondered what that meant. Yeah, that's my French lesson for the day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as people are want to do, I guess I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of name changing that goes on in some of these historical contexts, but uh, uh, Henri Louis changed his last name from Perno to Perno and established his own distillery, uh, which was you know basically centered in France, Maison Perno Fee, so the house of Perno and Sons, and Perno. I learned is the first original absinthe. And I fucking love Pernod. Yeah. And I did not know that it used to be absinthe. Yeah, dude. I was so psyched about that. I'm not sure if they started making it with the wormwood again. I think that you actually, like in France, you probably actually can get it with the wormwood. I don't know if yeah, they no, bring it, it here, though. No, the Pernod, I, I did double check that. Um, Pernod, as it is now, is its own liqueur. So it has deviated far enough from the recipe that you can get almost like um, you can get like certain branded vermouth. It's mm -hmm. still all vermouth. So you can get Perno absinthe, but just Perno is its own like it's, it's, it's like a pastis or something. Yes, like that. exactly. Okay. It's its own thing now. And it does have that licorice flavor, though. Um, I use it in my boulia base. Oh, cool. Awesome. Let's fast forward to the 19th century. Okay. So, 
1847, it said that the demand for absinthe rose dramatically after the Algerian War, which was 1844 to 1847, uh, because the soldiers were given rations of absinthe along with their drinking water to use as a bacterial deterrent and malaria preventative. Because of those intestinal worms. Yeah. <laughs> and because it was 134 proof. <laughs> It'll burn everything out of your guts. <laughs> So the whole the soldiers became hooked on absinthe and they began drinking it in France after the war and start and that kind of kicked off the surge of of absinthe popularity. And I think it like it stayed popular because um we they were drinking it as soldiers but I had also read that they once like peace came they were still drinking it. They were like, actually, we really like this. And so then they started drinking it as like a social beverage as well, which became a problem in 1870 to 1900s when this like tiny aphid-like insect began attacking the roots of grapevines in France. So it's called like grape phylorexa, I think. Phylloxera. Phylloxera. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, this tiny bug like destroyed the French and European wine harvest. And um, it, it basically devastated most of their wine growing grapes and industry. So within 25 years, this bug had destroyed two thirds of the vineyards in Europe, which made the price of wine skyrocket became very rare and very expensive. So the aristocrats, the upper class continued to drink red wine, but the middle and lower class, suddenly their table wine, non-existent. And so what do they drink to replace the wine that they're, you know, is part of their everyday life and part of their culture? They turned to absinthe because it was already growing in popularity. It was already a beverage of choice for like for sort of the, the middle lower class. And it became the perfect alternative. In fact, from the 1880s to the turn of the century, drinking absinthe during the cocktail hour in France, or like, you know, happy time here, it became so popular that people became, began calling it the uh, lure vert, or the green hour, for the bright green color of the spirit. I freaking love that. I do too. <laughs> I want to... I was gonna say I wanted to bring in like the brown hour of whiskey, but that just sounds gross. Yeah, that so is, I don't think we can do it. It doesn't sound as sexy as the green hour. <laughs> it's not sexy at all. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but it has a little bit of that like midnight margarita flair. <laughs> the green hour, like I don't know. It's yeah, awesome. But like um, brown is just such a bad descriptor for whiskey like when you're talking about the brown hour yeah. it could be construed no. as anything <laughs> 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 all right well i not all my ideas are great okay <laughs> we can work on it though <laughs> well over this uh over this time period is also when it became known as the beverage of the bohemians so this is uh, the sort of the turn of the century into the early 1900s. And it was the, the drink of the day for artists and writers and poets. And it was known as the drink of the Bohemians. 
And so bohemian, I think, is a word that, like, I don't know, I I know mostly as a descriptor of clothing style, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally fair. <laughs> but essentially, you know, in this time period, they were self-impoverished artists. So a lot of time they came from money mm-hmm. or had a, like, inheritance and would squander it or not spend it and purposely live in squalor because it felt like it... it made them more in tune with the plight of the people and and it was romantic and they were artists and writers and musicians free thinkers the biggest part is they were counterculture right right yeah so they were like the alternative people yeah today yep except they had money if they really needed it yes <laughs> a lot of them did a lot of them did <laughs> But like a lot of folks that um, were very like very historically significant, so Picasso, Degas, um, Vincent Van Gogh, Monet, uh, Toulouse Lautrec, they all fall into that that social scene, shall we say? And they were obsessed with absinthe. Yeah, I mean, they believe that absinthe stimulated their creativity. It was believed to raise uh, their consciousness and their insights and their emotional experience to uh, a totally different level. And it seemed that everyone indulged themselves enthusiastically. So enthusiastically, in fact, that alcoholism began to be a serious problem in France. See, and so I'm going to pause here because this is where, for me, it's like, Okay, cool. It's not the absinthe. It's the fact that they're drinking. <laughs> it's right. the fact that they're, they went from drinking wine to drinking, like, to drinking 134 proof alcohol. And now I don't know if it was 134 proof at that point, but even if it was only 100 proof, it's still, like, it's a very different sort of experience to socially drink that much high ABV alcohol. Right, right. And so it made them feel more intellectual to be very, very, very drunk. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I can see that. Um, but they did dilute it when they yes. drank it, too. Fair. <laughs> but still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some famous folks that fall into this category that are like also associated, because I think everybody thinks of Van Gogh in the ear, but Oscar Wilde was a famous um, absinther, and... His absinthe quote was, after the first glass of absinthe, you see things as you wish they were. After the second, you see them as they are not. Finally, you see things as they really are, and that is the most horrible thing in the world. Oh, is it though? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was a really cool quote. It is a cool (laughs) quote. Oscar Wilde was a cool dude. (laughs) Yeah, dude, totally. But I feel like I can like hammer back bourbon shots all night and feel the same way exactly that's so that's exactly my thought and point is it not it's not that it was absinthe it was that they were intellectual thinkers who right. thought of themselves as counterculture who were imbibing in large amounts of alcohol and talking about this sort of shit like that was they weren't like getting drunk and playing video games not that there's anything wrong with video games but like they were artistic types who got drunk and they talked about philosophy and writing and like throwing random shit they were probably pisces big ideas at the wall (laughs) a lot of them probably were (laughs) big ideas at the wall with a lot of emotion fueled by alcohol (laughs) 
Ernest Hemingway liked uh, absinthe quite a bit, too. So he wrote this book called Death in the Afternoon, and then he also created a cocktail called Death in the Afternoon. Oh, nice. Of (laughs) course. (laughs) Which we'll we'll talk about the cocktail later, but I thought it was fun at that moment to kind of throw that in basically it's a mixture of absinthe and champagne yum (laughs) (laughs) so it's gonna like smack you in the face now and give you a nasty hangover later (laughs) yep (laughs) (laughs) absinthe at this time was also one of the few drinks that was thought to be very ladylike because of the presentation and again we will get into the actual like cocktails and presentation of absinthe but it was it was a ritual. It was ornate. It was decorative. And like women drank this like everywhere. Dance halls, coffee houses. Like it was not uncouth or like or unladylike or um or slovenly or anything like that for a woman to drink absinthe in public. I wonder how crazy they got in public, women. I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I can get pretty quite crazy <laughs> if I. I mean, at dance halls and coffee houses. Yeah, yeah. If you if you drink enough of anything, you're gonna get crazy. But speaking of crazy, okay. <laughs> in in August of 1905, this dude Jean Lafray, who was a French guy working on a vineyard in the Swiss village of Communi. 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 Yeah, let's go with that. There's there's a G in there, and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say it or not. We'll go with Communi. Uh, this guy, he murdered his wife and their two children. It was believed he had been under the influence of an evil spirit. Absinthe. <laughs> <laughs> and he had consumed it before he killed his family. And the village's major determined that absinthe was the cause of a series of bloody crimes in the country. Because at the same time and shortly thereafter, um, including, unfortunately, Jean Lafray, who went to prison for his crime, Jean Lafray hung himself only a few days afterwards. But at the same time, there was uh, recorded and reported a rash of suicides um, that were related to absinthe. When, of my opinion, I think our opinion, they were more just closely related to alcoholism and mental illness. Yeah, I, yeah, I tend to agree with that. Because old Jean Lefray didn't have just absinthe. He had seven glasses of wine, three cognacs, brandy in his coffee, two creme de menthe, and some absinthe. <laughs> 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 and they just, they wanted a scapegoat. Very much like, um, like you know, music and video games, causes, whatever. Like, it just, absinthe was the scapegoat of the time. Because it was popular by low-life counterculture individuals. And then it wasn't until 1910 that Switzerland banned the sale of absinthe in the country. And France followed suit, or sorry, actually... America followed suit next, my mistake, in 1912, um, when the Department of Agriculture was like, yeah, no, fuck absinthe, none of that. It was caught, uh, yeah, they, I mean, uh, not only was it like prohibition, basically, um, or like the starts of, was it the starts of prohibition? It was, um, but they also thought that um, absinthe caused insanity, hallucinations, and drove drinkers to specifically commit criminal acts right i mean and historically that would track because that's what kind of everybody thought at that point right exactly yeah then in 1915 france banned absinthe 
I like that France held out <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's kind of funny in a way. And I don't, I'm super interested to know if it was because of the whole hallucinations thing or if it was because of the wine industry who had probably gotten Ooh. back on their feet at that point. And we're like, everybody's drinking absinthe. We need more people to start drinking wine again. We need oh, these man. sales to go up. I love conspiracy corner. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, who knows? It also, it's just, you know, sort of one of those things very much like um, gin in England uh, when that like was on the rise. People wanted to eventually ban it because people were like, were so fucking unhappy with their lives and so poor and had nothing else that they would just get fucking shit faced and then the upper crust of society was like mm -mm -mm, finger wag let's not do that and took it away yeah and it's just like well maybe solve some of the other underlying problems first yeah this is always why we can't have nice things <laughs> <laughs> but it stayed that way a long fucking time. People were like, absinthe causes hallucinations and people to go crazy. Van Gogh cut off his ear. And this person <laughs> killed his family all because of absinthe. What an evil spirit this green fairy is. <laughs> Until like 1990 when people were like starting to be like, actually, maybe there was more going on there. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the 90s, uh, there was a sort of a, a revival of absinthe. And countries in Europe began to slowly reauthorize um, its manufacture and its sale, which is basically how it led to, I think, I want to say it was 2007, 2008. It, was, it feels like it was really, like, really recent um, that I had read that it was reintroduced in the U.S. and legal for sale. Yeah, that tracks to me. I want to say it was probably around 2007 also. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I was shocked to read that. I didn't have absinthe before 2007. In fact, I think my first time having absinthe was 2000 and, uh, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. But I wasn't aware that like this was a thing you couldn't get before then. Like very recently. And it's just shocking to me. <laughs> It's it's so shocking. And then, yeah, and then people went absinthe crazy all yeah. over again. I mean, you could get fake ax uh, accent, absinthe in the U.S. Right. It, just, it just didn't have the wormwood in it. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I like I like the original, you know, if I'm going to get something, I like to get it as, as cool and as original as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a fun absinthe fact as Ooh. we wrap up our history corner on absinthe. To I cap like it all off, March 5th was actually declared to be the unofficial, official, now, uh, National Absinthe Day in the U.S. You mentioned earlier that, you know, the Bohemians in France and wherever were probably a lot of Pisces. Now, absinthe is a Pisces. Mm -hmm, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, absinthe has had this like cool, tumultuous past based mostly on myth and rumor and a misunderstanding of the way herbs and drugs work um, through like through supply and demand, through uh, you know, a misunderstanding of probably some mental health issues in there as well. But um, it's it's a cool liqueur. It's a cool spirit. It's a 
I have to I have to stop yeah. you right there yeah, yeah. because I've I you've called it a liqueur a couple of times. It is in fact not a liqueur because it is there are no added sugars. Okay, so that's what makes a liqueur a liqueur. Yes. So it is in fact a spirit. A spirit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm still going to call it the wrong thing. And I think we all know that because that's how smart I am. <laughs> Excuse me, you're, you're brilliant. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate that. I did not know that. <laughs> I just say liqueur because it's, I don't know, it's not vodka. <laughs> but it actually belongs with vodka. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Um, so I think that is a great invitation for us to go make a cocktail. Yeah, let's make a cocktail. Okay, sweet. So we're going to go make an absinthe cocktail. We'll come back and we'll tell you all about it and tell you about some of the other preparations that are popular with absinthe and that we've we've dug out, looked up, and can share with you. Totally. We'll be right back, witches. <laughs> Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're back. And we've made a cocktail. Or you've made a cocktail, Lindsay. <laughs> I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the cocktail maker. <laughs> we can make you the cocktail maker. The next time we make a cocktail, I'm gonna, I'll walk you through it step by step, and you're going to be the cocktail maker. I once screwed up a Negroni, which is equal parts of three different things. I don't know how much worse I could be a cocktail making. You're not going to screw up the next <laughs> one because I'm going to walk you through it step by step. But either Fair way, enough. this one turned out to be a pretty dope little cocktail. I really enjoy it. Yeah. So we have made, Lindsay has made, the Greener Beast, which was a recipe gifted to us in our little unboxing by Darlene. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got to admit, I hate absinthe. I despise it in all of its flavors. Anything that tastes like anise or licorice to me, I cannot stand. But this, I can drink this. So I'm the opposite. I actually love black licorice. It is my preferred form of licorice. The red stuff isn't licorice. It's some sort of confection, but it is not licorice. <laughs> and I like it salty. I like it chewy. I like it in my drinks. I'm a Sambuca shot person. I like licorice a lot and I like absinthe and you are right. It is a tasty cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very tasty cocktail and I haven't wanted to buy a bottle of absinthe in a while, but because I don't know any cocktails to make with it. Oh yeah. But this is enough where I'm like, I could totally see me chilling on my patio this summer Drinking a greener beast. Yeah, I would definitely drink this again. And it's a super easy cocktail to make. So Darlene's recipe uh, tells us to go with one ounce of absinthe, one ounce of fresh lime juice. We substituted the like not from concentrate whole food stuff because I didn't want to squeeze a bunch of limes. <laughs> but we, we <laughs> will say a cocktail will always taste better if you squeeze a lime. Yes, for sure. For sure. Uh, it calls for one ounce of simple syrup. We used agave nectar instead because uh, some light agave nectar instead because I forgot to make simple syrup. But right. And mine had a floaty in it. And <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know what it was, so I just chucked it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it works fine in a pinch. Um, I th A lot of the times if the, if the agave nectar is on the darker side, you probably want to do like half of what it calls for for simple syrup. 
Uh, this one was light enough that we just went for the full ounce and it turned out delicious. You're going to then add two to four ounces of seltzer. We used two ounces in ours because our glasses would not fit four ounces. Right. We did not have Collins glasses. We had <laughs> we have rocks glasses. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to take those four ingredients and then stir it up, strain it into a Collins glass, preferably, or whatever glass you have if you don't have a Collins glass. Uh, and then you are, you're going to, you're going to pour it over ice in the glass and then you're going to garnish it with a couple of slices of cucumber and a sprig of toothache plant. And toothache plant is a treat for another time. It is a treat for another (laughs) time. (laughs) But I, I really truly love this cocktail, even with the modifications of not fresh lime juice, sacrilege and (laughs) agave nectar syrup stuff instead of simple syrup i could see me drinking this as is i would love to see it in a um in a proper cocktail glass like a what i think of as like a champagne glass i suppose that like sort of wide flat open brimmed cocktail glass a coupe or a cocktail glass like a proper martini glass that isn't that awful pyramid shape yeah that's a that's a cocktail <laughs> glass, yeah. So, yeah, I'd like to see it in one of those. The absinthe that you brought over uh, wasn't particularly dark green. It was... No, it was, it was on a the lighter, lighter side. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was. it's very pretty, but I could absolutely see this with another two ounces of seltzer in a taller glass mm-hmm. with a little bit more ice or some crushed ice and just like summer cocktail cooler yeah i know it's really good the uh the anise flavor becomes it's still there for sure (laughs) yes but with the added lime juice and the extra sweetness it definitely takes away from that overpowering licorice flavor and it makes it really nice and refreshing especially with the extra carbonation from the seltzer Yep, absolutely. Super good. Yep, very good. Thank you, Darlene. Yeah, thank you, How Darlene. serendipitous that you, like, Darlene sent us a, a gift, and in it was this recipe, and we were already planning on recording on absinthe. Yeah, I know. So weird. It was amazing. <laughs> it was perfect timing. I do want to mention, again, um, Ernest Hemingway's Death in the Afternoon cocktail, just because I think it's kind of cool. It's amazing. So basically, you you just pour a, a, a jigger of absinthe into a champagne glass, and then you add chilled champagne. And when you do that, it'll make it'll turn it it'll like louche and turn it into that like milky opaque <laughs> you know green or white or whatever color it is. And that's all you do. And then you drink. These are the instructions. You drink three to five of these slowly. <laughs> and those are the author's instructions <laughs> as recorded by Ernest Hemingway uh, in an interview article thing that he did for a magazine way back when. <laughs> Best instructions ever. <laughs> Apparently he came up with this uh, recipe when um, he and three officers of the HMS Danae um, spent several hours overboard trying to get Captain Bra Saunders' fishing boat off a bank when he had gone ashore um, in a northwesterly gale. So they got drunk and tried to get a fishing boat off a, <laughs> off a sand bank. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think that there is one last preparation that we want to chat a little bit about, and that is the more traditional absinthe tower preparation. Yeah, the the like French method of preparing right. absinthe to drink. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, Which yeah. you can totally do at home as well. 
Um, you don't need one of those fancy absinthe towers, which really, um, to my understanding, just holds the water. It's a slow drip water tower. Yeah, it's like a, you know, like one of those jugs that you put lemonade in or iced right. tea in over the summer, right. and it has a spigot at yep. the bottom. Or in this case, it'll have probably a few spigots, but it does. It'll like very slowly drip the water onto the onto the sugar cube. Right, and so um, the the more traditional preparation is take a jigger of absinthe. So a jigger is basically like a measuring cup for uh, for cocktails. And um, you take a jigger, you pour it into the glass, and then you put a sugar cube on a special slotted absinthe spoon. So absinthe has its own freaking spoon, and they are ornate. Yeah. Some of them are like really simple. It's just like a little triangle. It looks like a little pie server. A little triangle spoon yeah. with a little slot in it. And that allows the water to drip over the sugar and dissolve and drip through the spoon into the absinthe. But some of them are really ornate in shapes of flowers or roses or I've seen them in like fire or like all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, dude, totally. And so you put the sugar cube on top of the spoon, put the spoon on top of the glass, sort of like balance it across the opening of the glass. And then you slowly pour cold water over the sugar, which dissolves it and takes away some of the bitterness of pure absinthe. And changes as the water drips into the absinthe, it looshes and it changes from uh, from it's sort of clear green to that milky color. Yeah, dude, totally. There is another like, you know, I guess kind of now traditional method of serving and or like preparing absinthe to serve too. It's called the Bohemian method, mm. which was developed by the Czechs in the 90s. Cool. Go on. So <clears throat> Czech absinthe is a little bit different then like French absinthe, it doesn't, it's one of those ones that does not have anise in it. Oh, So okay. when you, when you add cold water, it doesn't loosh. It stays like clear. It stays clear. Cool. Yeah. But to do this way, you still, you're still going to use a sugar cube. You're still going to use uh, a slotted spoon, an absinthe spoon or whatever, you know, kind of similar thing that you have to use. But you're going to, like, soak the sugar cube in alcohol first. So you'd, like, you drop it in your cup or do you... I've seen it. So I've seen this done before. Mm -hmm. Once where it was dropped in the cup and then fished out, which I thought was janky as fuck. And one where they put the spoon with the sugar cube um, over the glass and then poured, like, free poured the absinthe over the sugar cube into the glass. Yeah, I think you could do it either way. Whatever. Uh, you're going to do that and you're going to place this this spirited sugar cube on top of on top of your absinthe spoon and then you're going to light that baby on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently this is a big like oh my god, I can't believe you lit it on fire in France. <laughs> they're they're yeah. just like Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've seen that a lot. Yeah, it's gonna, flashy. It is flashy. <laughs> so you're going to light it on fire and then you're going to dump the sugar cube into this glass of absinthe which then makes the the like spirit ignite in the glass and then from there you take cold water and pour it into the glass to like douse the flames now i am not a particularly big absinthe drinker although i really like it but my introduction to absinthe was at the old absinthe house in new orleans which was established i think in 1874 oh wow and has been serving absinthe ever since it's a very fancy very nice absinthe bar and it's right on bourbon street and it's fucking dope if you if you are into cocktails uh, or history, or both. I highly recommend, even if you just go in and get like a cocktail um, when it is safe to do so and you're in the area. The bar is beautiful. 
their absence selection is unreal and their tower just to see the original like 1800s absinthe tower and the original bar and architecture it's stunning but i've had the same cocktail essentially both ways and i didn't know that the the lighted on fire was the bohemian czech way yeah they did use different absinthe um, and it did look different in the end i like it the french way better um, I didn't think that lighting, for me, lighting on fire didn't do anything to it. Okay. Um, it did make it like, it made it less bitter. Okay. It made it, um, it, it did add that sort of like burnt caramely note in the background, but all I could think was like, it's flashy. It looks really cool, but I don't think it really did a lot to the drinkability of it. It is said to make the drink stronger if you do the Bohemian method. I imagine that's probably because less water is used. Fair. That's fair. Which is interesting because you would think that the fire would burn off some of the alcohol, but I guess it's not on fire long enough to make yeah, a difference. Yeah, it shouldn't be on fire yeah. long enough. Yeah. But yeah, I I thought that we would actually make the more traditional French method cocktail. And surprise, surprise can't find a sugar cube in Somerville, Massachusetts to save my life. <laughs> I, Whole Foods doesn't have them. Amazon wouldn't ship them. My, all my local bodegas didn't have them. My baking supply store didn't have them. Nobody had a freaking sugar cube unless I wanted to order a box, which was really a case. So if I wanted a thousand sugar cubes, wow. <laughs> then I could totally order them. And I was like, I want 20. Wow. So... Darlene, you saved us by sending us a recipe that we could actually make. <laughs> yeah, perfect timing, Darlene. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I hope that whether you're a cocktail enthusiast, a licorice or anise enthusiast, uh, or an absinthe enthusiast or not, that you learned something today. Because absinthe is one of those like cool, mysterious cocktails with a lot of a lot of myth, a lot of uh, misconstrued facts. And it all stems from this beautiful wormwood plant, which we know has wonderful healing herbal properties as well as magical uses. And I love that that all translates into this like weird bohemian light it on fire. Maybe if you want a cocktail. Yeah. So maybe this St. Patrick's Day, which is instead of drinking your food dyed beer in a solo cup. Head over to your liquor store and buy a bottle of absinthe. Yeah. <laughs> well, once again, we want to thank Darlene for sending us that amazing recipe, as well as, oh my gosh, a box full of such great goodies, some new ritual candles, which we'll light next week in honor of the vernal equinox, Yeah. as well as some matches, because I'm always out, <laughs> <laughs> a chalice, which we'll tell you more about. Um, and a little bit of toothache herb <laughs> along with some seeds. So <laughs> like I said, we've got some great new inspiration for episodes coming up. And in the end, last bit, we raise a glass to our fallen hero fern. Gone, but never forgotten. Here's to you. <laughs>